know, when I was a kid listening to records on a dusty turntable and a big tube amplifier in my room, I, God, I poured over the album covers and all the bits of information I could gain from them, like who was playing what instrument and who was the engineer and who produced the tracks. It was more than just the feelings that I got from the music or the, even the messages. It was also about the people and the technology and the creativity that went into making the music. It was really just fascinating to me. And it was easy to combine all that information with the stuff that I gleaned from like interviews with musicians about songwriting and recording. It was great. Okay. So Tim, what I think you're saying is that you were a geek. Is uh, that, is that it? You're, you're just a geek, right? Uh, okay. F guilty as charged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and I'm going to make this little transition. You're talking about when you were a kid, but I, think you are still a geek and this is both for music <laughs> this is both for music and for behavioral science i mean come on think about the way that you remember the dates and the researchers and studies and all of those things and you can just bring it off at the top of your hat and and this is the important thing you can remember the drummer who was played on the tour that was done in 1972 from that band that nobody has ever heard of and how he then went on and played in this other band. And that was a connection <laughs> to George, who was, you know, this guy that I knew one time. It's amazing what you can do with that. But I think you pretty geeky stuff. Okay, I guess I am. Uh, but, but I'll say and that's that. not a bad thing. Okay, right, I'm just, I, I want to make clear that this okay. is not any kind of negativity. This is all good. It's well, fantastic to be a geek. And I'm not the only one, right? You're you not know. the only one, no. Right. But I think that's what made it so enjoyable to talk to our guest in this episode, like talking about musicians and engineers who record the sounds. Man, that was very, very cool for me. Yeah, but it was more than just a, a conversation about music. It was about how humans adjust to dramatic changes in our environment. And we recorded this during the pandemic in 2021, and life was still very chaotic at this point. And our guest in this episode, who is Mark Thorley, and he was quick to acknowledge what all of us are experiencing, that there's been a lot of change that has been put on us throughout this pandemic. Yeah. You know, Mark is a researcher and a professor who's been trying to understand the way musicians, specifically musicians, have dealt with the pandemic. His research and observations that he's making, well, they actually kind of go beyond music. They do, Tim. And they kind of go to the way that we deal with chaotic situations and about our ability to innovate, to be creative, to develop solutions to problems that are totally novel. Yeah, we talked a lot about musicians and engineers. and well, That we did. That yeah. we did. <laughs> okay. And, you know, being used in modern music production. But we definitely got to the very clever mindset of innovation that all of us have inside us. And we hope that you as listeners, hope we hope you'll find it as interesting as we did. And with that, we'd like to welcome you to Behavioral Grooves. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. And we hope that you sit back with a tall glass of creative mindset and enjoy our conversation with Mark Thorley. Mark Thorley, welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Thank you very much for having me. Very, very good to be here. We are very happy to have you here. And as our normal way of starting, we're going to go with a speed round. So, Mark, do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee at the moment. 
coffee. You're from England. What is this? What is the, that's like contrary to almost blasphemy. All of our own little things here. I've got a bit of a love hate relationship with coffee in that there's times when I've given it up completely. uh, And then uh, there's times when I have drank. I I used to literally drink 15, 20 cups of coffee a day. Yeah. 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 And and it had no effect on me. Um, So I think with coffee, you can either drink lots of it or none of it. The problem comes when you've given it up and then you have one and it sends you absolutely mad. Um, and then another another time I gave it up, I, I had re- I had I felt really awful, um, and it turned out it was just caffeine withdrawal. So if you're oh. if you have more than I think two cups of coffee a day, you're essentially addicted anyway, so it has no effect. So what's your current regimen like? Oh uh, well, at the moment I would probably have uh, to, to be honest. At the moment I'd have maybe four cups of coffee a day, and then I'm trying to drink more water now. That's my that's my autumn resolution. But sorry, this, see, this isn't a quick. This isn't going to be a quick answer, is it? Sorry. But having said that, <laughs> having said that, if you if you talked to me three months ago, I, I would have said green tea, and oh. I used to, I used to drink gallons of green tea, um, loads of it, you know. Wow. Yeah. So I, I move around. I move around. Yeah, that's okay. Bravo. Yeah, Bravo. But okay. twenty cups a day—that's still just woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... I mean, I, I wouldn't do that now, but yeah, it's not. I mean, that's not. It's not good. It's not normal at all, is it? Really. The only only time in my life I ever even got close was grad school pulling all nighters mm. where you had yeah, the yeah. You, you went to the the restaurant that had the the bottomless you know pot sure. of coffee that they sure. just kept bringing out yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. all yeah. you did yeah. is yeah. just pour pour yeah. pour and does yeah. it actually help does does drinking all that caffeine actually keep you awake so did you oh my study? god yes <laughs> well it yeah. keeps you jittery but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i think i think you get you you get that more in in the states where they have a you know coffee pot that's always on yeah. That, that in in a in a in a meeting or a training session to me, a coffee pot that's always on is is a coffee pot that's always pouring in my cup, basically. So, wow. um, yeah, yeah. But but talking about jittery, funny enough, I I um flew out. I was in a meeting with work where I'd flown over from New York. Funny enough, so I was really tired, and I was in a meeting, and um, I could have done with sleeping really, but rather than stay, uh, rather than fall asleep, I I drank you know, too much coffee. And I was absolutely wired. And in this meeting, my, my, um, behavior was completely irrational. You know, I was just, you know, I, I had no, I, I had no, no patience for anything. You know, normally in a meeting you go, Oh yeah, I know what you mean. I was like, that's ridiculous. You can't do that. <laughs> and they were saying, you know, they'd say, how are we going to, well, you just do this, just do that. You know, it was, it was a short meeting, but I was, yeah. Sometimes, you know, sometimes a meeting can move along that way. That's not, a, sometimes it's a good thing to bring you know, a little bit of edge. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, meetings are a huge waste of time a lot of time, aren't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we are blazing through the speed round oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. Uh, the second speed round question vinyl or CD when it comes to listening to music? CD. CD. Mm, okay. Yeah, and, and you you got to give a little justification on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I've got just to say that I, I use I use every format of music out. I've probably got some cassettes as well, actually. Mm, but, bravo. And I've got I've got vinyl, uh, but I've also got loads of CDs. And at the beginning of lockdown, so March of of, of last year, crumbs that that long ago, I decided to go through my CD collection alphabetically and listen to them in order. Because I've got ones I just don't listen to, and it was, it it was brilliant because I found some real gems and I found some some complete rubbish. 
Ah. And, and even when we got back, the trouble is I've, I haven't got that many CDs, but I've got enough. And it's taken me a whole long time. And I've still only got as far as, um, I'm trying to think, L or M or something like that. that's halfway through the alphabet you still have the the last half yeah yeah but there's been some real you know some real gems of things that i wouldn't have listened to otherwise well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna come back to that so 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 i'd say and and interestingly enough i've got i've got a colleague who over in in uk we have what are called charity shops uh, okay you you make them thrift stores or something like that yes yeah yeah um and so it used to be that they were always full of vinyl records, really, really cheap because everybody was getting rid of vinyl. Um, now vinyl is, is getting expensive, but the charity shops over here are still full of CDs because people are getting rid of, of CDs. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, and I've got a friend who does this. He goes around, around thrift shops and buys CDs. So I went to, despite having too many CDs already, I went where where I live in 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 a suburb of Birmingham, there's you know quite a few charity shops. Um, so I went to one a few weeks ago, and I bought five CDs for for, for ten pounds, you know, which is <laughs> yeah. nothing. And then yeah, and they're good, good deal. condition, yeah, yeah, they're in good condition because somebody threw them out. And just to give you an idea of of what I chose, there was some Kylie Minogue in there, but I don't okay. particularly I don't particularly like, but it was it was you know something different. Um, Hot chocolate, do you remember them? Oh so yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. good. A Madonna album, a Quincy Jones album. Ooh, oh my gosh, uh, which is really good. And here, here's the bonus: in one of the CDs, there was another CD there which I hadn't actually bought, and it was an artist called Chicane, who is is a, a, a like a UK. I think he was like a techno DJ. Now I I, oh. I, I know the name. <laughs> I would know the name, but I wouldn't say I love what Chicane does. But huh. this CD is absolutely brilliant. It's really good. <laughs> wow! Wasn't Hot Chocolate like a um, like a funk, like a girl yeah, yeah. funk band? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. They were sort of that um, kind of disco disco era, really. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I love sort of old disco records and stuff like that. So yeah, um, yeah so that so that was um, so that's why I'd say CD really. Yeah. There, there's something about going to a store, a record shop, a thrift store, I mean, charity shop, as you talk about, and just going through either the vinyl or the CDs where it's just this eclectic mix. And yeah. you look and it's like it, it almost as the, the album design or the cover. Sure. Sometimes it draws you in and you go, oh, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard of these guys, but I want to yeah. just try them. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, today you could get it with your Spotify and your others and you can kind of do random. but you're not choosing necessarily. You're not going out there and just kind of randomly picking. It's whatever the algorithm is picking for you, even if you pick a different genre. Sure. But there's something that is just, I don't know. I, I miss it. I miss yeah. going yeah. and just like, and you hear the yeah. click, you know, and you're clicking through and you're moving your fingers across yeah, and yeah, kind of yeah. going yeah. Yeah. quickly. Yeah. yeah. There's something there. That That's an interesting topic, by the way, this idea of choosing versus having something choose for mm. you like mm. you know with spotify just it's it taking Absolutely. all the friction out of that new yeah, music yeah, experience yeah, yeah but there is yeah. something rewarding about choosing yeah i mean i'm, I'm always amazed i mean I, I also listen to music you know just on youtube and stuff like that uh, and and you know i have to say that you end up i, I do end up listening to stuff that that i kind of knew that i would like um yeah. but but i wouldn't find any any other way but 
So in some ways, algorithms are amazing. And in other ways, they're, they're, they're quite scary, really, because you end up, I think you end up in a, in a cul-de-sac of your own making. And I think it can it can make you quite yeah. limited in terms of your, your choices. So, yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. All right. We're blazing through the speed round here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, Mark. Would you prefer to have dinner with your favorite musician or your favorite recording engineer? Ooh. Oh, crumbs. That's a difficult one. Um <laughs> I'll go musician. Okay. Okay. And do you have a, oh, a yeah, one that you would? I was, you know, I mean, you, I, you can, you, if you need to pick two, you can, you can kind of go, there you go. Oh, musician to have dinner with. But, but let's say uh, at the same meal, let, let's, 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 you know, not just too random, you know, have both of them have to be at the same dinner. Well, a recording engineer and a, and a musician. No, oh. two musicians. Oh, two musicians. Okay, um, you're going to have both. You can't. You can't answer. I want a recording engineer and a musician. That's that's not think, that would be that would be that would be fascinating though. Because then I, you get to talk. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I would like to have dinner with James Brown. I think that would be oh, thoroughly oh, yeah. entertaining. Um, yeah. I don't think you get a lot of sense out of him. Um, <laughs> I, I think he. I think he'd be entertaining yeah. to have to have dinner with. Um, I don't think he'd be in the slightest bit interested in anything I've got. I've got to say. Uh, I think. I think that would make it good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a really difficult question. You know. Oh. Um, yeah. If you had to only pick one, there you go. Yeah, okay. and um, yeah. I mean, ooh, that, that, that's that's just too difficult. Really, too difficult. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, and it would that's probably change every day. Actually. Yeah. There you go. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so we're coming to the end of the speed round. <laughs> <laughs> Already. <laughs> Already, yes. And, and do you that's think it's been- it, folks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for being a guest, yeah, Mark. Yeah, you don't, thankfully, you don't need any long questions here, do you, really? <laughs> you know, what is it they say about, you know, those questions, you know, the how, why... Uh, you know, those questions, the open-ended questions, you just don't need yeah. those, really. Sorry, I've gone on too long. <laughs> Not with you. No, my God. No, no, no. no. Coffee <laughs> or tea just went on a whole yeah, five-minute diet. Yeah, but actually, <laughs> you, you see, the thing is, you're, you're, you know, they're not they're not as alternative as you think are they those questions and they no sometimes they're not they yeah, are yeah, definitely not yeah they're false equivalents yeah, yeah. a that's lot of word. them are too yeah yeah that's yeah. the word yeah yeah <laughs> that's you know it, it's not that we intentionally design them that way it's just our it's our nature mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't so, know what that says about us tim but you know i will i will just let that lay there well, I could say what I think, but you'd probably edit that bit out afterwards, wouldn't you? So, uh. <laughs> no, no, you say what to say as you no, wish. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so, but but who? Sorry, I'm not, I don't want to turn this on. So, who? If you were to have so, so if I got James Brown sitting next to me, mm-hmm. and then and then you you're sat Tim, you're you're sat next to him. Then there's a space. Then there's Kurt. Then there's another space, and you can each have a musician. Ooh. Next to you, and you don't. It doesn't have to be relate to James Brown at all. It, oh, and, no, but who but, would be but, a good conversation yeah, with yeah, James yeah. Brown and yeah, everybody yeah. else? There you yeah. go. All right, Tim, you're you're next. Well, I okay. So I'm just going to say that I don't think there is any good conversation with James Brown. The the, <laughs> the cool thing about James Brown is just listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm with Mark yeah. on this. I don't feel like there'd be any mean. It's like Chuck Berry. You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Chuck Berry would be fascinating to listen to, yeah. but not to actually have a conversation with. 
Um, True. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. but yeah. if we wanted to have, if, if we wanted to have somebody at the table that we'd want to have a conversation with mm. as a musician, um, I think I might go with somebody like, um, like Nina Simone. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think that she would be fascinating yeah. as a conversationalist. Yes. And, yeah. and just for the sake of playing the other side, if we were going to go recording engineer, then I would, I'd be switching between say like Wally Hyder or Rupert Neve. You know? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of somewhere, somewhere between those guys. Okay, but. you lost me on the recording engineer, but um, <laughs> well, you know. Okay, but just, oh, go, go just, ahead, just interrupting that, it's interesting you mentioned Wally Hyder because I've got his name written down here. You do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was um, a, a real pioneer of, of remote recording. Yes. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, when we were going to talk about people working remotely, and I was going to, you know, mention about musicians' history of working remotely, he was a real pioneer. You know, he was the first one to have a remote recording truck. Yeah, so that's interesting that you just mentioned his name, actually. Yeah. Recording yeah, truck. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, Kurt, who would, who would you have sitting next to you? All right, so so you guys are all picking all these. You know, I I would go – who would I go with? Who you – know, if, if uh, well, I'll, I'll go I'll go plain. I'll go back to my um, my 80s roots, right? So I will just go with Bono from from U2. I okay. think if, if we had – if we had – Nina and James, you know, yeah, I think yeah, that yeah, would be yeah. an interesting mix yeah. of all three of those. I was going to yeah. go with maybe a ministry or somebody, you know, Alan Jurgensen or somebody like that, mm. but that would be too weird. So, yeah. No, I, th- I think, I think that would be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that would be good. I, I, I saw um, when I was a lot younger, so I saw you 2 when, I think it was when they had just released their second album. Um, oh. So I think. Was that War? Uh, no, that was their third album. So I think. It was either Boy, Boy, or, Boy was the second album. Yeah, so it was just after Boy. So they were really, wow. you know, really wow. s- small band, and we saw them. Um, there's a place up in Staffordshire, which, oh crumbs, I can't. I think it was, it was called Victoria Hall Hanley. I don't know whether it's still there. So I saw them there, and uh, at another equally small venue, and um, you know, just amazing performance. I mean, no, nobody really, you, you know, really heard of them. They were a little bit in that. Um, at that time in the UK, there were bands like Echo and Bunny Men and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, right. A little, little bit like that. But, um, but yeah, and I, and I remember when their third album came out, which was War, and uh, a friend of mine, so it's when we were in our late teens, a friend of mine, we were saying, oh, they just lost it now. That's not, you know, this oh. isn't as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're, they've they're gone done. mainstream. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. My, my, favorite, my favorite U2 story, so I saw them back in 1984. Five. Yeah. Um, it and so I went to the University of Iowa. They oh, yeah. they came. They're big. Then they they came played at the University of Iowa at the at Carver Hawkeye Arena. And then mm. that was October thirtieth. October thirty first, they played in Indiana. My roommate was a big fan. He drove all the way to Indian Indiana Indianapolis to see him play there. Yeah. But on Halloween, what they did is they dressed up and they came out as the opening opening band. So they were like dressed in, you know, whole different wigs and costumes and different things. And they came out as this, like, forget what they called themselves, but he was up front and he like recognized them. And so there was this group of people up front in this big, you know, arena 
that is like screaming at these guys because they realize what's going on and the rest of the stadium is just oh, dead because wow. they're like going, who is this, you know, who's <laughs> yeah. the opening, opening band? We're not listening to them, wow. right? Why would we do that? I right. thought that was just, it kind of plays into a little bit. I thought that was kind of cool. That's mm, just that's a kind of cool. fun mm. little thing. Mm. Did they play they're just cover tunes? Like, did they play yeah, cover Yeah, I think tunes? they were just playing some cover tunes. Oh, so fantastic. I, I wasn't there. I mean, this is secondhand story, so yeah, yeah. I have to go, yeah. But wow. that's, I always thought that was, it, yeah. it kind of demonstrated a little bit about kind of, they were just obviously having fun. Mm. And that I think is one sure. of the, the, the key things Yeah. that, all right, because they weren't, they didn't have to do that. That was just, a, yeah, yeah. You know, let's, let's go out and do that. So Yeah. And you, you, te- you tend to think of them as being quite a serious band, really. Yeah. So, uh, to, yeah, to do something like that, it's probably quite unusual, really. <laughs> yeah. We are nearing the end of our speed round. (laughs) (laughs) This is going in the record books as the longest speed round. They need to be simpler questions for me, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're just going to have such a great conversation. It doesn't matter what the questions are. So kind of doesn't matter. No. But do you think it's better to arrange your music collection alphabetically or by musical genre? Well, I just kind of answered my own question, didn't I? Because I said my CDs were in alphabetical mm-hmm. order. Uh, but yeah. I didn't put them in alphabetical order. My partner put them in alphabetical order. So I would say, <laughs> and she did that a week before in lockdown. So it tells you about, oh. how, it, tells you about how exciting our home life is, doesn't it, really? <laughs> uh, pro- no, I'd I, I, I probably do them by genre, actually. Yeah, oh. yeah. And, and my yeah. other bit, my, my other big disappointment with the alphabetical thing is I, I'm I'm a big fan of Steely Dan, and I still haven't got to all my Steely Dan albums. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> no. got a long way to you're, go if yeah, you're yeah, only on hell. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> terrible, really. But yeah, no, I, I go genre. Genre makes more sense because I think you want to. Sometimes you want to hear some jazz. Sometimes you want to hear something else. Um, so yeah, I'd go that. Although having said that, the alphabetical one did force me to listen to things which became a pleasant surprise. So no. I haven't given you an answer again, have I? Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I think it's terrific. I'm, I'm, I'm totally into that whole idea of the randomness uh, or buying CDs and then not listening to them right away. Yeah, yeah. Then coming back to them later and go, wait, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Or especially yeah. local musicians. I get a lot of CDs from local musicians. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, if, if I've heard them live, it's like, okay, I don't really need to listen to the CD right away. Mm-hmm. And it might sit around for a couple of months and it's like, oh, wait a minute, I still have the CD and I'll put it in and listen to it. And then I get to sort of compare, you know, think about it. Sometimes yeah. I love their their work in the studio. Sometimes not, you know. Yeah, but yeah, it's always different. And and it's in, it's interesting coming back to something, whether it's listening to music or reading a book, or looking at a photograph or a picture. When you come back to it twenty years later, mm. you see it. You see it quite differently, really. Yeah, our our memories are always, you know, sort of recreating and on the fly, yeah. which is fantastic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but I think the, we're also we're we're different people, and so if you haven't yeah. listened to something or haven't read something for a number of years, all of a sudden you see it with a different perspective, or you hear it with a different perspective, and yes. Yes. that can that can enhance it. Yeah. It can go, wow, I didn't yeah. realize this was so whatever that would be. Yeah. Or it can go, 
oh, I used to like this. <laughs> this, this, <laughs> yeah. this is like, what, what was I? God, I must have been really, you yes. know, drinking a lot during those days. I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Your, your judgment does change, doesn't it? And and yeah. you can sometimes yes. get a little too analytical about things, can't you? And you come, you come to the late, and that, that you know that that initial enjoyment of something. Yeah. You, you, you kind of yeah. go through that, but then, but then again, if something's really good, you can you can enjoy it at a, at a, at a different level, can't you? Like when you, yeah, you know, you later can come in the back year. to it, and you can come back to it. And one of the things that we've talked with others about music is this idea that it can transport you back into that time, mm. into the emotions that you were feeling at that yes. time. So if you were, you know in high school or college and you haven't heard this band for like, I, I probably haven't listened to you two in a, a while, at least, you know? And mm -hmm. so yeah. you know, I might go back and listen to some U2 and it might take me back to Carver Hawkeye yeah. arena in 1985 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and those yeah. emotions that I had. And yeah, absolutely. I'm rushing the stage and doing all that fun stuff. So mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's mm. a different experience for me listening to, records that were produced prior to big streaming services because they were sort of arranged as as snapshots as a, a record sure. right yeah not, yeah you know not a recording because i love the term record as a way of thinking about it not just as a recording but it is it's a snapshot it's a yes. record of what happened at that moment it's yeah. it's you know it's that story yeah. and they put them together in a particular manner. They produce yeah. them in a particular manner. There was some intentionality about it yeah. and i like experiencing what artists and producers put together in that way. So to listen yeah. to an album and say, you know, just start to finish and go, that's an interesting, it's a different way of experiencing music than it is today. Yes. Yeah. And um, as you, as you say, the way it's the fact you have those people together in a room at that point in time doing something. And I think we've, we've moved very much away from that. It's less about capturing performance. Uh, it's more about, you know, you do that. I mean, you know, the number of, the number of records that have, you know, eight songwriters on the credits, you know, they'll do a bit, oh, yeah. send it off to somebody else. Now, I mean, it certainly seems to be very little spontaneity in that, in that way of doing things. Um, and certainly that, that idea, Tim, you're saying about having a snapshot, that performance, I think we're very much in danger of losing that with, with modern, um, you know, modern ways of working in a lot of areas, you know, music recording, but probably a lot of other areas as well. Yeah. Well, you've done a lot of work on kind of this this aspect of music and this idea of remote music and how recordings get done on that. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about you know some of your research uh, around that and what are some of the things that you're you're seeing or, sure. or realizing? Yeah, um, and that, that's that's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I've just to give you a bit of a bit of a background to that. I um, you know a lot of my research has been about the impact of technology on on music making, I suppose, in its broadest sense. You know, so music has always been affected by by technology. So if you think about a, a rudimentary instrument is a piece of technology, you know. So mm -hmm. ever since people moved on from the singing voice to a drum and to stringed instruments, it's all about technology. So we tend to think about technology as, you know, the internet or computers and actual fact, you know, instruments are technology anyway. But but I but I've I've sort of um you know, I've looked at, at you know, it tends to be more digital technology. So, you know, the internet, streaming, crowdsourcing, things like that. So all those things that, that the internet have have kind of um, facilitated, really. And, um, you know, when we were originally talking about doing this this podcast, which was, you know, at the start of the pandemic, you know, which we thought would probably last a couple of months at, at the longest. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and, right. And here we are, what, you know, I don't know how many 18 months. months, a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So at that time, I started looking at, um, you know, trying to observe what was going on 
with musicians in terms of the way it was, you know, changing their way of working. Partly because I thought, well, this is something that's really significant, and partly because it was it's something that that um, was so easy to observe. And um, you know, I think um, what's what's come out of it is 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 different. Different people have responded in different ways, um, and there's mm-hmm. been a whole variety of of responses. So I mean, it goes from everything to from you know studios where they've kind of packed up their studios and gone home basically so there's been more you know more studios who've, who've gone you know gone and, and worked from home and there is a bit of history of you know people running studios from their homes um anyway um there's things like that there's also things like you know where um excuse me where people have um started doing live streaming from their homes so you know everything from you know singer songwriter who'd normally be performing in a bar you know they were they were sort of streaming via youtube or or facebook live so they've done that to kind of um you know keep their audience um active there's also been things like you know some sort of um movement to using new platforms and this is more at the the kind of higher level i guess in things like so things like um you know travis scott who's a who's a rapper he did um a concert in Fortnite. you know Fortnite, which is a which is a huge gaming platform yeah and the number of people who attended that that concert in the game is is a huge huge number of of people you know so that's kind of changed that format you know an in-game concert is a totally different thing yeah you know, so it's different to how how a singer and songwriter could could change what they do, but you know, it's a different way of of doing things. What do you think the impact is on the on the, uh, the consumption of music with all these different ways to experience it? What's really interesting is there have been some some trends with consumption which kind of work a little bit in contradiction to what's happened with with production because essentially, you know, live music could couldn't take place. Uh, a lot of you know production processes were shelved because they couldn't have lots of people in recording studios, so they just pushed a lot of releases back. But obviously, in, in terms of consumption, more people were, were consuming music, really, because they were at home. But there yeah. were some key... The actual differences in consumption were quite interesting because streaming actually went down by about 11%, hmm. Oh, which is a surprise because you expect streaming to go up. But that was because the... The amount of the, the amount of time people were spending in the car or at work streaming went down. So fewer people were in the office or in the car streaming. Now that wow. said, streaming via video platforms or music music video streaming, so the kind of thing you might see on YouTube, that that went up not unexpectedly because more people were at home consuming music via you know via their home devices. Hmm. And then also music consumption via televisions and via games consoles went up so so some very significant so streaming streaming as a thing didn't go it went down actually but streaming including a visual element to visual devices at home like games consoles and um you know televisions actually went up because people were at home so you know so consumption actually went up so at the same time that consumption went up you know the way the outlets for people's um output you know kind of went down um, so, which is why they're finding new ways to do things, really. Yeah, and what about the the production side then? Let's talk a little bit about the production side. As it, as it's gone, as we get into the pandemic, uh, musicians aren't coming into studios to record together. And while there's in recent years, there's certainly been a, an increase in the creation of music 
uh, as you alluded to, sort of in a piecemeal fashion. I'll, yeah. I'll record a little bit of this. I'll pass it on to you. You you yeah. you you add some to the track. I'll yeah. pass it on to Kurt. Kurt adds something to the track. You know, we yeah. we we mix the you know, things like that. We but, delete but Kurt's this- part out because it sucks, <laughs> and then we. <laughs> Go keep going. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that that's true. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Um, because as you say, it's not a new thing. I mean, where I well, I live in Birmingham, which is uh, you know, it's got a great a great music history. It doesn't always make the best of it, but it's got amazing music history. And um, there's a band who from Birmingham called UB40, who I know were were were, were pretty big in the states. And interestingly yeah. enough, very sadly, their their saxophone player um died just last week, actually. Um, oh. I'm going off on a tangent here, sorry. But when they used to record, because they were all quite, um, there were so many of them, uh, and also they had they owned their own studio, and also, uh, how should I put this uh, technically, they had some um, interesting recreational habits. <laughs> You're being diplomatic. <laughs> I'm being very diplomatic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, I mean, I, you know. But the way they used to record is one, one of them would come in and do something, and then, you know, leave it. and then And then somebody else would come in and essentially delete that and do something else. So they never finished anything because they were just deleting each other's stuff and it just never, wow. never got finished. And that's that's quite going back quite a long time. So, yeah. But as you, as you say, Tim, you know, the, the technology now uh, allows people to, you know, record virtually. You know, you can do a vocal in, you know, record a vocal in Los Angeles, you know, somebody engineering it in London, stuff like that. And it's not it's not new. Yeah. The problem has always been with those sorts of things is, is to do the latency, you know, the, the kind of delay that you get. Um, yeah. But there are there are ways of overcoming those things. But but as you said, Tim, the whole the whole performance thing, you take that performance thing out of it to a large extent, and and you know, you think of all those great sounding records that why they sound the way they are. There's probably elements to them that actually, if you could have changed them at the time, they would have changed them. They would have deleted them or you know yeah. changed the pitch or something like that. So things very much sound you know of their time because of the way people the way people do things yeah yeah it's interesting and and i don't know if you guys i've seen bands live that local bands typically that i just love they're they're fantastic they have a energy about them their music seems like it's tight it's good Hmm. and then you buy their cd or their their album and you tim as you said maybe don't listen to it right away but you go back and you listen and it's like oh uh, it, it just isn't the same. And I know that's not the same as this remote element of different pieces, but I think there's even some aspect of just that recording that doesn't always capture mm. some of the magic that happens Absolutely. In, in, yeah. for some people. And some yeah, people, yeah. I think it's op- the opposite, right? You see them live and you go, oh, I I'm just going to sure. listen to the albums because sure. that's yeah. that's much better. But yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if there's any any thoughts on that, but I thought that was just, I mean, it's something I've noticed. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting if I can tie that together. When when we were you were talking about Wally Wally Hyder as a, as a uh, I thought it's amazing that you brought up that name because he wouldn't be a recording engineer that everybody would know of. But but he he introduced the idea of mobile recording in a mobile truck. And somebody else who who was effectively working from home uh, was a guy called Rudy Van Gelder, who recorded mm. a lot of those Blue Note records. And his and his studio was essentially in his, in his mum and dad's house. So when he was about thirty, he persuaded them to put a, a, a um, you know to put a window between the lounge and the I don't know, it was the lounge and the kitchen. I don't know, um, but it was it was actually his, his parents' house where a lot of those Blue Note records were recorded. And you know, we tend to think of that as the classic jazz sound, 
but you know, like um, Charlie Mingus wouldn't record there because he he thought it was it was terrible. You know, there's a lot of there have been some a lot of criticisms of those of those um, those Blue Note records because of that studio. But we would tend to think of it as as you know that classic kind of jazz sound. You know, and, and a lot of people chose to record there. You know, rather than in in the in the city centre New York studio. So there's something about that that place. You know, that vibe how people work together, you know, and it was in, essentially somebody's house. So, you know, we're kind of coming back to the idea of working from home and working, working remotely, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a strange thing really. Yeah. So yeah. you're, you're kind of saying it's, it's coming full circle in, to it, some degree. I think it probably is. Yeah. Because a lot of the, a lot of the pioneers of, of recording, and, and I don't think any of this is unique to music either. I think it, I think it's, you know, it, it, any kind of knowledge working, where you can now work from home rather than in an office. I think it applies to a lot of things, but, but yeah, with, with, with remote working I and, mean, you know, Rudy Van Helder was what was one example, another real pioneer, you know, two significant pioneers of, of recording were, you know, Les Paul, um, and yeah. also a, 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 who was, uh, who was American, the British guy called Joe Meek, who was, oh, a, yeah. I mean, absolute pioneer of, of music recording, you know, just invented things really. And, and it's a bit of, a, it's a bit of a tragedy really, but it, it's got interesting modern parallels because he had, um, you know, what was essentially a home studio in in a flat in in London, you know, and, and made some amazing records there. But but he basically had he had mental health problems, you know, had depression and anxiety and stuff like that. I think he ended up shooting his landlady and then shot himself. I think it was that. Yeah, I, I was yeah. going to say he uh, he committed suicide. That didn't was it. He? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but not before he he shot his landlady and and she yeah. apparently used to. Um, have a broom where she banged the broom on on the, on the floor below. <laughs> oh no! Now, but I mean, what it's it's you know because because he, he's known as a real pioneer. But it's but it's fascinating because you know a lot of people who are working remotely go, hey, it's so convenient. But actually, you know, the mental health problems from huh. people working in in home environments, you know, not being able to switch off, you know, you trying to do your work, which is impinging upon you know, somebody else, which is the equivalent of the landlady. Um, it's like, yeah. yeah, no, working from home is, is you can do it technically, but actually it's not always good for your mind. I don't think, you know, I wanted to, to switch gears just a bit, uh, in the, in the few minutes that we have left here that I wanted to talk about the pandemic, uh, the sounds of the pandemic project that you're working mm. on. This is something that you and, and a bunch of colleagues have been working on. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're finding, some of the things that you're understanding and revealing well i mean there's to be fair i think it's one of those subjects that um that either people are, i don't know what will happen after the pandemic actually whether it'll be you know whether everybody will want to know about what happened in the pandemic or whether it will be the last thing on everybody's mind i'm not i'm on yeah, you know, yeah. i think well the pandemic has to end first so there, <laughs> there might, we might be going on for a long time yes that, yeah. Yeah. it's it's a bit like um you know i suppose the equivalent is is, is kind of war movies isn't it you know, probably Hollywood has made a significant amount of money out of making films about, you know, a, a number of wars. Um, yeah. So I guess we're in the same thing, you know, with the pandemic, whether whether actually once the pandemic, well, it, it, as I say, I don't think it's going away quickly, but, you know, whether anybody will, will ever want to, you know, hear about it. But but there's, but there's a whole lot of different stuff going on. But, but um, I mean, the specific thing I'm working on at the moment is a book chapter for a, um, a book which is called Sounds of the Pandemic. And... Other people are writing about lots of different things. So, you know, it's about things like the sound of cities, you know, how how they, you know, didn't sound like cities anymore. You could hear the birds and stuff like that. 
Um, you know, a colleague in, in Italy is writing about, um, you know, where the singers were singing across the different, um, the different streets and stuff like that. Yeah. And the, 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 the chapter that I'm doing is, it's about remote working, basically. But, but I, use the, I use the word remotivity because, you know, it's, it's having the capability to work, to work, to work remotely. And we're all having to learn, you know, those, you know, multivarious skills. And, and I don't think working remotely is just being able to use Zoom or being able to use Teams. I think, I think there's a whole load of complex things that we haven't begun to, you know, re- really get around as yet um, completely because we've all got used to working in offices. But, um, but yeah, with, the, with that chapter, as I said, the, you know, as I've alluded to, there's been lots of different ways in which people have done, um, have done stuff and they, they come up with different, different models and stuff like that. But some of the things that have come out of that in terms of the capability, I, mean, I, think, I think overall I could say there's probably four capabilities you really need to work, uh, you know, to, to display remotivity in music. And those are things like having a, a creative and innovative kind of mindset, because to, to, to put it bluntly, if you can't think innovatively, you know, somebody else will and grab your fans and then you, you've had yeah. it basically. You know, that it, it seems fairly obvious really. Second one is having te- the technical expertise to to use some of these new tools. And, and a, just a little bit more about that. What's interesting, if you compare, say, this pandemic with the the nearest thing, I suppose, which would be the Spanish flu pandemic of nine of you know nineteen eighteen or whatever, yeah. is that you know very often musicians responded to them that pandemic, but they only really I say only they predominantly responded musically. So, for example, there was a song called you know Influenza Blues. Mm. you know things like that you know what musicians have now they can yes they can respond in terms of their music but i haven't heard that many songs written about um, i might have missed it but i haven't heard that much music written about the pandemic yeah too much remarkably but, little yeah 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 which is interesting it is yeah I, you you mentioned that and and that's true yeah yeah you don't hear songs yeah. that are talking about it even though it's gone on now exactly. for a year and a exactly. half exactly yeah, oh. yeah and i don't know whether yeah. that's shying they're shying away from it or I, I don't know why that is but this time they've had different tools that have allowed them to respond creatively so for example you know they can they can do a concert on um you know on facebook live they can do a concert on youtube so they have different a different set of tools beyond the musical instruments um, to respond. So the ones who've been successful have been able to cobble together some sort of technical solution that has enabled them to stay connected with with their you know with their fans or their clients, stuff like that. The the third thing I think that they they have needed to have is you know some kind of fan base or or, or client base. I think it's been a very difficult time to build up a business because I just think that the um, the virtual world is just so muddled and so yeah. full of messages and you must listen to this. Here's my advice on well-being. You need to buy this piece of software. It's just a muddle. I think I think if you haven't already got some sort of fan base or client base, I, I think it's a difficult thing to build up in a pandemic um, just because it's so muddled. And then the last thing really, I think, to display this remotivity is, is you know, having a unique selling point or an expertise that that could well be a geographical thing. So for example, if you took somebody like a, like a mixing engineer who's working in Los Angeles, you know, they could be mixing stuff from London or Paris or whatever, but it's there. It's, it's not just there that they're in Los Angeles, but that they've, they've developed their expertise by working in, in, in Los Angeles it means that actually, you know, their remotivity 
and their location becomes their unique selling point. Hmm. Um, you know, so they can do the job differently to somebody who would do it in London because they're in Los Angeles. So it's a whole, so I think it's, a, so what, what I found so far is it's, it's a mix of things, you know, it's, it's having a creative mindset. It's having technical expertise to cobble solutions together. And they are very often cobbled together, you know, you know, having a good, a good client base or an established client base or fan base. And then, you know, lastly, having some sort of unique selling point or offering that, that will cut through the, the noise and mean something, you know, globally. Yeah. Uh, this has been thoroughly enjoyable here, Mark. No, it's been uh, great. I've enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Thank you for being a guest on Behavioral Grooves. That's okay. And sorry about the slow, sorry about the quick questions not being so quick. <laughs> you know what? We need to just rename that because none of them have been. <laughs> Although I do have to say that was the, I, I, we have a record with, with yes, this one. Yeah, uh, on this. But that's yes. okay because it was, it was yes. fascinating conversation. So I'm excited about that. I've obviously yeah. spent, I've obviously spent too much time in academia where you don't give a straight answer to any question, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a politician. There you go. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. Mark, thank, thank you. you. We will, we will be in touch. Yeah, that's and, great. And you, you have a good afternoon. And I'll talk to you. And, we'll and talk th to you. Thanks, thanks again for inviting me. It's been, it's been really great. I really enjoyed it. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our discussion with Mark, have a free-flowing conversation, and talk about whatever else comes into our musically charged and changed brains. Yeah, yeah, you like I like that. that. You like I that? like that. Yeah, yeah. you know, okay. I like it in, in part because you know there is no script for that line. I never know what is going to come out of your mouth. <laughs> Either never. do I. I never know what's going to come out of my own mouth in those lines. It's like, holy crap, what am I going to say? <laughs> I, I I just love that. <laughs> oh, but this was this was an interest. I'm sure you just had to have loved this episode. Yeah, I'm still kind of tingling. Actually, it's, it was it was really great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean to to the point. I mean, I loved it. It was fascinating, and and I loved it because you can translate the insights that Mark was talking about beyond just the music industry. But I think you probably are like, why do you need to translate? It's music. It's awesome. It's great. So. <laughs> true, true enough. So what, I mean, the, the, the translation I think was fantastic and, and we should spend some time on that, but there was just a couple of things I wanted to mention first that how music uh, has changed during the pandemic, pretty much just like everything else. Mm -hmm. right? I, I think that it was important to note that artists haven't, it wasn't new that artists have been recording at home and they've been doing that for a long time. Oh. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I you go back to, I, I think Elvis, you know, you know, had his head up home recording studio just, you know, but just for demos, like home recording studios were always just for like the play, just sort of toying around with ideas, not really for, for producing records until you get to Phil Collins, the, okay. when, the, I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Yeah. That was basically a home studio project that became the record because he did it so damn well. Oh man. Uh, that do, you have a, do you have a home recording studio? You know, um, not really anymore. I used to. Yeah. I, 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 it was a full blown studio. You know, I had a live room and a control room and everything in the in the basement of my house, but not anymore. Not oh, not man. modern times. <laughs> <laughs> You've gone backwards. <laughs> I kind of have, but oh, it's man. also different, right? Like, yeah. you know, I mean, everything can happen just on the computer. But 
So as part of this, we talked about live streaming and different pieces of that. And you did some of that during kind of the the peak of this. I remember, you know, joining in on on one, which was really cool. And people were really generous. Like the live streaming events were a good way for a lot of my musician friends to 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 keep generating some income. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and people turned out pretty regularly and donated pretty regularly to lots of of local musicians. You know that 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 I hang out with, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think that they they actually made some real money from the events. And I I loved the creativity that that Mark and you guys were both talking about here. But just, what was it, Travis Scott doing a concert in Fortnite? Yeah. That, yeah. That's pretty, wow. I mean, all right, I don't know anything about Fortnite. I'm not a big gamer. My son probably would be able to tell you all about this. But <laughs> Yeah, me either. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting when you think about the ways that we have been able to adapt or be novel in the way that we approach the the situation because we have constraints we can't gather live in person anymore so how do we still communicate and 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 share the music and share the community part of this in a way that maybe isn't you know a one-to-one replication of of what comes in a live setting but can maybe be different but still achieve some of those same things so. Yeah, I, it was. I think it's a super creative way of getting to a new platform and exploiting a new platform where music hasn't been traditional. Yeah. Uh, and, and and that kind of leads me to, to Mark's comments about how the visual consumption of music really increased during the pandemic. Oh, this, uh, like YouTube, well, and game consoles were definite and significant consumption devices that had not been exploited in the way that they were during the pandemic. That they really increased music consumption quite a bit. Yeah. Do you think that trend will continue? Do you think that that is going to be more of the norm moving forward? Because he also mentioned, or somebody said that like streaming went down, right? That yeah. this idea, because we're not in cars, you're not just streaming that music into your headphones, you're actually being able to watch it. Is that going to be a trend that continues? I mean, you go back to MTV's beginning and the, you know, at one point music truly you know, for most of it outside of going to live concerts was all about just listening either through the radio or through albums or CDs. Right. But then you got, you know, MTV and and some of those others. And I know they had done videos, you know, the the Beatles. I mean, think about what, yeah. you know, all of that. They've, they've done video recording of it, but that wasn't the way that most people consumed music. And right. now, right. you know, MTV kind of switched that over with the music videos. And I think, obviously, there's still like TikTok today. My daughter, that's what she finds new music and various different pieces. And, you know, wow. and it's not necessarily from the artists. It's from people using the artist's music to then do whatever their little stint is. And then those musical pieces get replicated um, or those stints, stunts get replicated. And and every, then it's like, oh, I've heard this, this song 20 times and different pieces or the 30 seconds of that song 20 times because that's what they listen to yeah so uh, that brings up a a whole series of questions and and, in answer to your question my answer is i don't know kurt i I have no idea this will be a trend if if there's more of this ahead but it because i i see two two conflicting things happening here we have people who are going to YouTube to consume music. And to some degree, they're going to a specific artist or a specific idea or something. Like you can't just go to YouTube and just say, play classic rock 
you know, and right. You know, it's not like Spotify. You can't just have a playlist that just continues to automatically generate. YouTube get, is more specific. And, and I feel like it's more artist specific as well. Where And the contrast to that is the, is the Spotify, Apple, you know, Pandora playlist model that is all about you just start, you just you just hit the first domino and it fills in the rest mm. where you where there's a lot of people don't even know who they're listening to. Oh, they yeah. just decided that they just wanted to have someone in the that sounded like Taylor Swift. And then guess what? The Spotify just created a huge playlist of Taylor Swift like songs for them for the next two hours. Yeah. Uh, it's fascinating because you think about that, that that would happen maybe on the radio, right? You would listen to the radio and yes. you wouldn't necessarily know who was playing until the DJ came on and then said, oh, that was a new recording from whoever. And yeah. But that is really the case, I think, with the – and even when you, you're going – Taylor Swift, you don't even have to do that. You can just say genres, you know, or moods. You can go, I want right. a, it's a dinner cooking mood. It is a, <laughs> right. uh, you know, a, a blue Monday mood. Uh, all of those are, are different ways that you can just kind of, that automatically compile the type of, or a different style of music for you without having to really ever understand or know who that artist is that you're listening to unless you stop the recording and or look and, and see, which is, you know, negative, I think, from the musician's perspective in some ways, um, actually in many ways. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, we started talking about this idea of this analog of music to the rest of the world. What struck you? I, I think I think this was kind of Mark might have summed it up really nicely when he started talked about talking about remotivity. Mm hmm. Uh, what what struck you ab about those about well, those? A, I just words. love the word remotivity. I mean, come on, you <laughs> yeah. can say that over and over and over again. Um, but you know, he had that. What was it? Those four kind of pieces, right? Creative mindset, you know, leveraging new technology, fan base that's willing to connect and is already established, and make sure you have a unique selling point. And and you you take that and you can you can say, all right, that's great for musicians. But that's also what businesses, many businesses had to do, what, you know, any type of entrepreneur needs to do. It's like, so have that creative mindset. You have to, you got to think about what are the barriers and what are the new barriers that are being thrown in, into your place and how are you going to overcome those? I love this, you know, playing Fortnite and doing different pieces like that. The idea of saying what is new, but then also going back to this leveraging new technology. And this is the piece where, you know, it's not just new technology. It's leveraging behavioral science and understanding of how people operate. So if you bring in new technology, that's going to change how people interact with both the technology, but also with each other. And we need to understand that and change the way that we think about that and have a, a different mindset about those ways of connecting and interacting and, and working together. Those are really key. Uh, agreed. And if we're not, if we're not doing those things, I don't think we're being fully human. Yeah. You know, you know it, it seems like it's almost kind of a natural outcome of just being human, right? This adaptability of looking for, um, again, having a creative mindset. It's almost like we don't have to do anything to have a creative mindset. I feel like that's just kind of part of our DNA. We're going to have we're going to develop solutions to problems that we haven't encountered before one way or another. I think some people can do that better than others. I think some people need to be more 
open to that. I mean, you get stuck in the status quo bias, right? You get stuck yeah. and you get you get yeah. remorseful. It's like all the things I'm missing as opposed to all the things that I could now be doing. Yeah. That is, you know, what is the mindset that you're coming into this with, which is a key piece of all of this. And I think it's one of the things that change. And we were talking prior to, to you know, recording this about, you know, just some of the work that we're doing with clients where they're international, that they are in Europe, they are in, you know, we were just, we, we just were in, you know, um, the Middle East. It was all of these things that, you know, even a few years ago, that ability to just say, oh, no problem. We're just going to work with you guys would have been a little bit more hesitant yeah. because, yeah. well, how are we going to have meetings at the appropriate times? And that's going to be really hard to do this. And that just has gone away. I think it's really <laughs> gone away and that our ability to interact and to communicate and to work across time zones, across a number of different, you know, cultural components is is there. And it's it's a great thing from my perspective. I, I couldn't agree more. This 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 whole geographical barriers that we once saw, I love that they have melted away, that we've we've taken on new clients uh, for all you know, for, you know, just in recent months without even blinking about where we're located or where they're located. Well, you've been doing work with India. You've yeah. been doing work with Zurich. You've been, we were just in Qatar. Um, you've been yeah. doing work with, with England. Yeah. And then you've been doing work locally here in Minnesota as well, as well as parts of in Indiana and Chicago and other things. So, I mean, you've right. gotten, uh, you know, across the globe when you look at the the areas of the, the world that you've been bringing in. And partly I think that goes to back to the third and fourth bullet that, that we talked about for this, which was fan bases that are willing to connect. And part of this is that, We've been around and we've established our our brands and our work and we've worked with people and that then just says, hey, it doesn't matter. And so that that, that that's a piece of this. And I yeah. think it's harder. And this is one of the things I think that Mark was talking about, that if you have an established fan base, then this whole pandemic thing, it was easier to, to kind of manage because you weren't building a brand new fan base. Mm -hmm. Same thing with business. If you're, I know from a sales perspective and some of the work that we've done with sales people is, hey, I have been able to maintain those relationships even when I don't have access to those uh, clients that I'm working with uh, in an old fashioned, I can't go into their office. I can't, you know, we're not meeting live, but hey, right. I can still do that. But it was much harder for them to get new clients and to kind of break through because the model of how they did that in the past didn't work anymore. And the new models weren't as easy to be able to, to bring that in. And then I also think that there's that unique selling point. Like, what is it? What is it? And, and again, going back to you and pointing at, you know, that's the behavioral science, bringing that perspective into, into organizations and how that impacts their bottom line and how it impacts the way that people work together and the insights and value that that brings is really, I think, kind of key. So there is a unique selling point that you bring to this. And it's not just a musical selling point, but, you know, it's that geeky selling point that you have. Yeah. I was going to say, you're kind of bringing this back full circle to uh, when we talked about me being a geek in the introduction. Is that what yeah. you're doing? You're, you just you're, want to reiterate that? You, you, well, you know... I mean, and I say this with 
all endearment, you are a geek. And that's a great thing because you bring this whole cadre of information and value and and curating all these different ideas, but then, you know, synthesizing them into actionable pieces. So, all right, this is sounding like a like a little... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it's build up, like. Build up Tim Day, but it, <laughs> yeah. it's true. It's it's very true. All right. Okay. I think with that, it's time to wrap up this episode of Behavioral Grooves. And one thing, if you listen to this and you enjoy it, um, and we would greatly appreciate if you could rate us. Just uh, go give a quick two-sentence review. It would be a great benefit to us uh, as well as others. Again, who in this time of trying to find out really interesting places to to find new information may not be aware of behavioral grooves. And so your leaving a review helps other people find us. And so I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Or, you know, another option is you, you can join our groovy tribe with a commitment to the Patreon site, which See, is that you be- are a geek. You are the groovy <laughs> tribe. There you go. You, love it. Love it. All right, go yeah, ahead. Just zip on out to www.patreon.com's forward slash behavioral grooves. And, you, you know, you can sign up and get even closer to being part of the groovers. I don't the know. Geeky, the geeky team that we are. If you're yeah, a geek, true. go out there and join their geek club. There you go. <laughs> And with that, with that, Groovers, we do hope that this week you get inspired by our conversation with Mark and, and you go out and you find your groove. <laughs> <laughs>